0: Old man, doing a podcast, real weirdos, we have English degrees, real weirdos, we talk about movies, for way too goddamn long.
1: You
0: guys ready to talk about a nice family-friendly film today?
1: Yeah, dude. Well, you know, after... How dark the last one was. I think we need something to lighten the mood a bit.
0: Yeah, this one's going to be all rainbows and gumdrops today.
2: Get us out of this bunker in Berlin.
0: Yeah, out of the bunker and into the woods. To grandmother's house we go? That, can we make a song about that? <laughs> to Willem Dafoe's house we go?
1: To Willem Dafoe's I want to go to Willem Dafoe's house if he's got a hog like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, uh, I messaged Alex yesterday. And I was like, how long do you bet it will take for Jeff to mention Willem Dafoe's hog on this show? <laughs> and I was going to say two minutes, but we're at we're at 45 seconds before <laughs> we got to
1: Nice. Awesome. I'm so Jeff's happy mentioned. I was able to uh, satisfy that. Yeah, dude, I mean, man's got a piece on him.
0: You beat my projection, yeah. If you want to see Willem Dafoe's fucking hog slamming in and out of some badge, <laughs> this is the movie
1: for you. Seriously. <laughs>
0: Ooh, i are setting the tone here.
1: It's funny because when I look at... So I didn't look at this movie first, like on IMDb, so I didn't see that it was um, unrated. So when I saw that scene in the very beginning, I was like, oh, okay. They used up all their rating R points on that scene and called in a few favors.
0: No, no. No, 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 my friend. Unrated as shit. So today... We're talking about Antichrist, the 2009 film by shockmeister Lars von Trier, starring Willem Dafoe and Charlotte Gainsbourg. And only Willem Dafoe and Charlotte Gainsbourg. Yeah, they're a man and a woman who lose a child and retreat to the woods where he attempts to treat her for her, I guess, trauma and anxiety and stuff. And things get weird and psychedelic and... Very sexual. Very, very, very sexual. Yeah. Um, Alex and I have talked about this movie on some of our book reports. Just um, sort of because it's a hard movie to not have in conversation when you see movies that are like psychosexual horror thriller type movies. And I decided that we needed to do this as a trio because I thought Jeff Casino needs to have this in his cinematic lexicon so <laughs> Jeff, how was your experience with Antichrist
1: well <clears throat> Antichrist man this was a a hell of a film I was kind of mentioned this before we we got on mic, but I watched this movie at like midnight and I just wasn't able to digest it and so I kind of restarted it this morning and Watched all the way through. It's a short film, which is cool. I appreciate mm, that. Hour and fifty. <clears throat> hour and fifty, I think, is a, a decent length nowadays. Under like,
0: two I, hours, yeah.
1: If you're getting in, in and out in under two hours, I think you're you're telling a pretty tight story in today's cinema. <clears throat> but yeah, I think this movie was really interesting. I think that's a, that's a good word to use. I liked it at a lot of points. I thought it had really great symbolism. I was really... I, I find myself... If I find myself chewing on the fat of a movie's themes, if I find myself trying to link the themes to uh, other kinds of references, or if I'm trying to digest the themes of the movie like a poem, then I can tell I like it. And that's kind of what I was doing with this movie. I was breaking down the themes and the scenes and like, oh, what does that mean? Okay, what does this mean? And so... I think that speaks for itself as the film's engagement.
0: I'm glad you said that because one of the things I was going to say, if you didn't like it, I was going to say, well, at least it was interesting though, right? That's definitely a word I would use.
1: Well, yeah, you can't walk away from this film going like that was boring. (laughs) It's (laughs) impossible with this movie. Well, you've pulled
0: out some reviews for us that we'll check out uh, later on in the show but um alex what's your history with antichrist how was it to revisit it
2: um it was what i expected to revisit it uh it was a movie that i just put on late night one time when i was alone and uh i watched the whole thing thinking it was like some weird psychological horror film at first um you know when they go like to the woods and stuff like starts growing on his skin i'm like oh they're in trouble but then Watching it again, and as I've been older a few times, it's like a whole different psychosexual analysis of this really strange, like, traumatic tragedy. I don't know. I really like this movie. It's not a movie that I would suggest to everyone. It's extremely dark, but it's different, right? And you go to Lars von Trier for stuff like that. You go for something that is a different cinematic experience than what you're expecting before, so... I don't know. I, I really liked it. I think that Willem Dafoe is great in it. Charlotte Gainsborough as well. Um, and yeah. One, one piece of advice. Maybe don't seek therapy with your significant other in some isolated woods somewhere.
0: Mm. Yeah, I can't speak to that. I'm not a therapist. Especially not woods where Satan has his, uh, his uh, <laughs> forces or <laughs> whatever. I don't know. We could uh, That's going into the, the thematics here which are manifold manifold thematics happening in this film. Um, but I do want to highlight the fact that it's it is just those two actors, right? Mm-hmm. And they are tremendous. Especially Charlotte Gainsbourg as she I don't know. I don't know if it's like I would qualify it as a descent because towards the end you see that she was always like possessed of this malevolence when you learn that she would put the kids shoes on in different ways and then you see the flashback to the way the film begins Mm -hmm. where the kid goes out the window which is very it's like gorgeous by the way this movie is shot incredibly and especially that opening sequence with the classical music and the black and white and the slow motion is just very hypnotic but you see that she watched him fall you know yeah and um there's also there's a really wild biblical themes going on you have two people who are nameless Charlotte Gainsbourg and Willem Dafoe are nameless in this film. They're just man and woman, I think, in the script. And they go to a place called Eden, Mm -hmm. right? And it has to deal with the sins of women. Um, And I've said a bunch of things here, so someone feel free to jump in on that before I just completely take the ball.
1: Um, Yeah, no, I definitely caught a lot of these themes, and that's what I kind of was talking about with, like, chewing on the fat of the movie. It definitely presents its themes, I wouldn't say in any way heavy-handedly, it was just more it wasn't trying to hide from you what it was trying to say i guess it wasn't trying to be cryptic i guess is the best way to put that mm. where you know you're calling the force that they're going to actually Eden. and we're talking about like this kind of lost child during like the sin of intercourse and like neglect it's it, it, the in, the opening scene actually kind of turned me off to the movie cuz i was like okay You get, like, Willem Dafoe's just nuts and hog right away. And I was like, right away. away." I mean, we're talking less than 15 seconds. Mm -hmm. I was like, Like whoa. full on. Yeah, I was like, (laughs) whoa, okay, all right. So, all right. And then so we're we're moving on, and it's this very lengthy sex scene. And as Jesse and maybe Alex know, I'm not a huge fan of sex scenes in movies, I don't find that they're really relevant or they have a point in most movies. I think they're just meant to like, I don't know, and satisfy the the sexual cravings of the masses. Mm -hmm. I just find them to be boring. But like, it definitely makes sense in this movie. All the sex scenes in this movie have a point and they make sense to the plot, whether however graphic and very revealing they are. But uh, you know, it opens up and it's like, oh, okay, sure, all right long sex scene and then when the kid the slow motion fall of the child from the ledge is gut wrenching to me yeah. i don't know that slow motion fall and the landing <clears throat> i don't know it was it was just like i i immediately realized from those two triggers the the full on full penetration as dennis reynolds would say <laughs> uh, we, had, we had full penetration in 15 seconds in and and this like very graphic death of this child i don't i just i knew right away i was dealing with a different kind of movie
2: yeah that's a really good way to put it i mean it it's different than just like the theme of like oh this is really really passionate and violent sex oh there's a baby dropping right like usually films that deal with things of child death or like sex they don't front load your plate at the very beginning of the meal and this one is definitely just goes right into it and it's kind of good honestly it provides like a little filter almost like an artistic filter of people it gives people a chance to be like okay this movie is not for me i'm not going to f- <laughs> to follow the rabbit right. hole down this you know so i i like that i appreciated that and respected that from von Trier, but i was definitely one of the willing occupants of this ride
0: that's an interesting point though it does sort of let you know what you're in for in a sense maybe not in terms of like the wild horror that it gets to later but in terms of like how graphic and like how graphic the imagery and thematics will be Mm -hmm. it doesn't like it doesn't go through 20 minutes of like dialogue and setting all this up and then shock you with some big like boom moment Um, yeah that's very understated or something, and you're like, whoa, Uh, it's more, it's very stylized, hyper stylized, and that goes into the whole film as well. Um, But I'm curious, to draw the camera back, like, if there were a main thing that you would say this film is about, what would it be, right? I mean, maybe that's, maybe, let me know if that's too big of a question though, because it is definitely trafficking in a bunch of ideas. But I, I would have an answer for myself, but I'm curious what you guys would say. Like if someone's like, what's this movie about,
2: you know? So, I mean, I have a few ideas, but I'll go with yeah, t- the my my there. two strongest ones. Um, the first one's kind of vanilla, kind of it's not gonna like, you know, set the world on fire. It's just like a, in the way that Barry Lyndon was the, the showing of a man who just kind of descends into like his own immorality. This one's more of like a descent into, just sheer like shock trauma like the effects of what trauma will do to you and like make you manic it will make you depressed but then it will also like it takes on this whole own element in your own imagination so like the place grows more and more sinister to them eden does right um so i feel like that's like the most surface level one but for me honestly it's about how he inserted himself into her care and how he pays the price for the rest of the movie for being so like for having such male hubris being like oh i don't like the way that she's uh, getting cared for psychiatric like psychologically in the hospital so i'm going to step up to do it and then he goes on this massive ride where he realizes like the feminine power if you will if that's what you want to call it is a little more it's it's more powerful than he expected it's a little more like mm. uh He's just like in over his head, in my in my sense, and it's like drowning. It's like watching his character specifically drowning in the crazy manic episodes of his wife, who they try to paper over with with weird sex, and then at the end, right? I won't go into the final scene a lot, but the final scene really drove that theme home for me. But man versus woman, not necessarily man versus versus woman in that traditional sense. But the themes of men and women and male and female are definitely mm. the biggest
1: parts for me.
0: Though mm. wow. I have a lot to say about this, yeah. but Jeff?
1: Well, no, I, I really love that you decided to go like the route of the grounded themes, Alex, because mm-hmm. I wanted to respond to Jesse's question first as like, well, which, what do you mean by that? Like, because mm. there's very much the theme, the grounded themes of the movie where it's we're just like you said, it's kind of talking about like this collapse of this relationship because of this arrogance of the, of this doctor, you know, she tells him in the beginning, like, you're not a doctor. Yeah. And he's like, well, I'm happy. I'm not with these kind of doctors. Like you can see the arrogance and the, is he a dropout? Like what, what about him makes him so repugnant to the idea of being a doctor? Mm-hmm. And so you have these things. She pours her pills out. So I really like that you went on that route, but then you have like, Kind of this heavy symbolism that's layered on like a like a really delicious frosting on an already <laughs> really good cake you know like it's it's it all comes together so perfectly it's not one doesn't overshadow the other, which I really appreciate in this film like they'll they'll touch on this these kind of religious tones so for me I don't know I would say. This film, if you go the grounded route, I'm going to go the uh, the symbolism route. And I'm going to say, this film's really about, like, man and woman attempting to return to the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. And Eden is rejecting... Their presence because they were mm. banished, Ooh. and that's why she. That's why she. Because they're called. They're not called man and woman in the script. They're called he and she. she. Yeah, you're right. You're and correct. Yeah. and he and it's capitalized. And in the Bible, when he and she is capitalized, it it's a it, well it usually means if he is capitalized, it means God. Mm-hmm. But usually, but usually means a significance of a character. Yeah, and uh, you know somebody of, of 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 large importance. You know, and so. You have he and she. I would guess, you know, not in any way like this is like actually a theme, but you know, like this this newer modern representation of Adam and Eve, because Adam doesn't have Adam is the when when God banishes Adam and Eve from paradise. He he says that one you know women will suffer pain in childbirth and. The other is that man will always be a uh, uh, protected and a uh, like um, master. Sorry, that's the word I was thinking of. Man will always be master of woman because of her mistake, her original sin in the Garden of Eden. So there's a, a level where. And also Adam was the tender of the Garden of Eden. He named all the animals and the plants and everything like that. So you have all these themes where Willem Dafoe's character is immune to these these repulsive effects of where this place that they are, Eden, is. He's able to walk around freely, yet he sees these visions of corruption, of almost warnings of like the, the deer with its own dead fetus hanging out of it, or the Fox that's eating itself Mm -hmm. or the, uh, the crow that won't die. Like the immortal crow. And so you have these themes of these, these corrupted animals. So it's almost like Eden is rejecting their presence and God is kind of giving them these little themes, like these little warnings. And then you have her reaction where literally to walk like i almost saw the bridge as like the bridge between the real world and paradise she's like she can't physically get herself over the bridge cuz it's quote unquote her fault that they're they're banished so she can't get over the bridge she can't touch the actual ground the the cabin is her her little paradise her little sanctuary and so she slowly is able to kind of every time she touches the ground it's like poison to her so it's almost like eden is reacting i know i'm going on and on and on sorry but it's like that that's kind of the thematic read that i had
0: that's really in- the both of you guys readings are really interesting because you haven't touched on what my like major reading is here you definitely the biblical thing there's i think there's really strong echoes of what you guys have both said definitely um in terms of looking at it as a grounded sort of commentary on, I don't know, mansplaining <laughs> in a sense <laughs> that Alex was touching on. He does a, mansplainer a couple times. Yeah, in
2: a sense, it's it's kind of like that. I wouldn't say the movie's overarching like about that. But no,
0: yeah. no, 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 no. Um, and definitely the biblical thing. I mean, that's so obvious that there's so much biblical stuff going on here. Um, but wha- so. I want to talk about misogyny here Mm -hmm. and witchcraft. And this is what the movie sort of dovetails into is her idea and it's her thesis, right? That women, like the way that women have been subjugated by men for like hundreds of years and especially in like 1600s, 1700s about like the, the witchcraft and burnings. And all that kind of stuff. And the fact that women were just like brutally subjugated by men essentially. But you learn that she learned to internalize that as truth. That the subjugation of women is like an indicator of the truth of that. That women are evil. And in my reading, she is a witch in this film. She talks about how witches would bring hailstorms down. Mm -hmm. She brings a hailstorm down. She essentially, like, it gets weird because you see that she has been, as I said earlier, like a sort of agent of chaos this whole time. She saw her kid die, didn't do anything, put his shoes on in an interesting way that, like, put him on backwards or or left on the right and right on the left so that his feet were, like, all messed up. Mm -hmm. They were, like, deformed. Um, so it's, it's, it's difficult to say if she's suffering from a descent over the course of the movie or if she's playing into this character. Um, and, and I don't think there is an answer for that. But in terms of misogyny, and like, I think the most interesting question about this film that I've seen that has had a lot of debate about it is, is this film misogynistic? And I think it is, but with like a thousand asterisks because a it's coming from the point of view of the woman accepting herself as as evil and she is evil in this film she does evil like a lot of what she does to her son and to willem defoe is evil she calls these spirits to like have a sacrifice the three beggars but this also goes into lars von trier and it's like yes the movie i think is dealing in themes of misogyny but is the overarching like meta narrative here misogynistic? And I would have to say, there's no way to know. Yeah. The reason I say that is because Lars von Trier, you cannot trust anything he says, <laughs> even in interviews. Mm-hmm. Like, and you can't trust that the message of the movie is the message of the movie. And that's what's interesting and challenging about von Trier is he is essentially like a really high-minded shockmeister. he wants you to have the conversation of should this book be banned about mm-hmm. his movie and you can't trust that like you can't trust interpretations of the meta narrative of mm-hmm. his films mm-hmm. because of that it's it's crazy and that makes analyzing him frustrating and incredibly interesting And if he didn't have the skill that he has as a director, because this is like a a really skilled film, whether or not you like it, there are some insanely affective sequences here. Um, But but yeah, I mean, that's my reading. And the fact that she goes full hog into evil mode towards the end, I think I think like illustrates that for me more than anything else, you know? And, and I'm curious what you guys, if we take that reading into consideration, what we think of like the end end mm-hmm. where he walks through and it's just the forest of dead women. Mm-hmm.
2: That's the scene I was referring to in my reading, right? The very mm-hmm. end scene where like I thought of it as like the history of all of the witches, right? All these witches or people who have been persecuted as witches are like rising up kind of. It's almost in the, the sense of like you were saying, Jesse men have subjugated women into this role or into this corner that at the end it was almost like proof of that it was like a self-fulfilling prophecy or it was like look at this beast look at this crazy like sinister cadre of witches you have created because you guys have pushed us into this kind of corner but again this film like
0: but that's the question though right are men I sorry to cut you off no you have to um Is it because men have subjugated them or are men subjugating them because they're evil? Yeah, right. Right? Like, who would know? Where's
2: the original sin here? Because in in her PhD studies, right, she comes up with it in her writing and she says, oh, I believe that all women are inherently evil. But it's like, you never know if that's just like a victim's psychology being like they believe into the... Epithet, or whatever they are, you know. Um, Well, I think
0: the manifestations though that she has going on in Eden, where she brings in the three beggars, the animals, Mm -hmm. and she also calls down hail from the sky. Like, I think I guess you could get into interpretive mode, but it seems like they're both cognizant of these things. So it's not just like it's not like her having a delusion, these things are manifesting in reality in ways that the movie sets up our witch-like from, you know, the the, the days of yore.
2: Exactly. It's, he does really well at obfuscating, like, the clear message of the theme.
0: Yeah, (laughs) it's like, like Jeff said, we're just chewing the fat. Like, we don't know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you you have to, you can't swallow this movie ever. It's like, just chew, 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 and you just try to understand, and and at the end you can just digest what you can. But to respond to you first, Jesse... Uh, I I can't really see, like, I could see now that you've mentioned it, why people would think this is movie is, like, misogynistic or such and such. But I, I personally don't see that. I never struck me as that. I mean, there are times where Willem Dafoe's character is being misogynistic, but I kept seeing that as, like, this... He keeps doing it with this. She keeps calling him arrogant. He keeps doing this with this level of self-righteousness where he's like, I understand. I'm being your... This is the best thing for you. I'm being your keeper, your Mm -hmm. master. Yeah. So... That's where I see that is like he's doing it out of almost love, which is an inherently very misogynistic, where you think like, no, I'm doing this because I love you, because I care about you, and I, I, I'm, do- I'm dominating your grief process. So there's a level to that where I don't... That's misogynistic. But the movie being misogynistic, I mean, I don't think so. I think... Very clearly, I mean, even Willem Dafoe's character, who, like I just said that about him, he has that moment where he's like, "No, all the women who were killed in witch trials, and just simply because they were women, they don't, they didn't deserve that fate. Mm -hmm. Like that, they were just totally innocent women." So, like, it even kind of addresses that idea right there. But then it flips that
0: on its head, right? Because she becomes a witch, and he has to kill her for his own life, right? It's like the film essentially validates. Those ideas of like the
1: witchy sin of women through her, right? Mm hmm. Kind of. I mean, I don't really agree. I think th- I first one, like, yeah, I think that you're right that she inherently becoming a witch is validating the point that the movie's trying to make, but I still don't think it's validating it in a misogynistic way. I think it's saying that she bought in to this type of what is apparently looks like a real spiritualism, this like connection with nature that women tend to have, that we associate with the female form because of their menstrual cycle and, you know, they used to call it the moon cycle. We've always kind of attributed these attributes of women of childbirth and menstrual cycle and stuff that they have to do with nature. And so Witcher Wiccan has always kind of had that high to nature that's why inherent witches like use herbs and alchemy and stuff like that so i don't i don't know i just i think that it doesn't validate the point it just kind of shows that she bought into this mentality and this theorem and it hmm. and the Perhaps. way that the movie flips it on its head in the way that you're talking about it's just that it's kind of real i mean in this in in, in the reality that the movie's portraying because you're right they're both seeing these things not just her
0: yeah you could you could think about it in terms of uh, like a localized thing where she manifests evil because she internalizes evil like the movie's called antichrist right and you have this idea that she espouses that's visually represented through willem dafoe's little pyramid sketch where you have the top of fears which is nature and then satan So it is playing with these ideas of nature and female nature and human nature being a conduit for evil. Uh, I mean, I don't know if we can put evil in quotation marks or not. There's no No, she definitely says that. No, it says that. No, I mean, like, in terms of, like, us looking at the thematics here. I guess. Like, whether you want to see something as evil or not or whether it's. Like, I I don't know. (laughs) This
2: movie. No, it's hard. It's a hard nut to crack for sure. Alex, did you want to jump in? No, like I was just going to say, it goes back what you guys were saying. It does this like, um, like return to the primal roots almost type thing. Like that almost seems to be like his therapeutic method. Like we're going to get out of this big fucking city. We're going to go out in the woods. We're going to be, you know, like living off the land for a little bit. And we're going to do things the way they used to do back in the day. And with that, comes this caveat that your imagination will run into more like archaic Mm -hmm. channels of thinking and you get into this mode where acorns falling on your roof is not just acorns falling on your roof because of gravity and because you're in a forest it's because satan is literally upwelling himself from the roots where you are you know so part of me always wonders like how much of this is in willem defoe's like imagination until it starts to get really really bad but I don't know. It's almost like part of me feels like it's two people in the woods playing like dress up or like playing house or something. And they buy into this playful, imaginative, kind of suspended like realm of fiction and reality. Mm. And then they, they like just go full, they like succumb to the play. They succumb to like the whole imaginative scope that they build up for themselves. But I feel like it's saying something about primalness and going back to the roots and the sex and the earth and the newborn baby. There's just so much about reproduction and procreation in this film. It's a very stark battle with its other theme of Satan
1: and like darkness. Can I respond to that? Go for it. I agree with half of it, I should say. The, the primal roots I definitely agree with. I, I agree with that that these people are kind of this this going out to the nature and kind of confronting your fears and, and going back to this place that is scary to you is a very kind of uh, primal thing to do maybe or a way to connect to a primal part of nature. But the play acting, I don't know. I mean, do you feel like these characters... Are playing roles as far as like who they think they should be, like him playing the therapist role and her playing the grieving mother. Is she actually grieving? Because she seems to flip on her grief quickly. Is that kind of what you're trying to say? Because I'm, I'm more just trying to understand the the read. Okay, yeah, it's not this imaginative
2: theme that I'm talking about and this like mechanism that I've set up. They are the characters in the film are not aware of this. They are not actively. Being like oh like we're imagining all of these weird stuff and then like fall into it it's all it all works in concert and in sequence with each other to be very subtle but again this reading that I have is more of a it's more of like wringing water from a rock in this film like it's hard to pick out a theme that I feel like is the strongest or the most uh, that builds the backbone or is the spine of the film so This theme is definitely you'd be hard pressed to to like write a 10 page term paper on it. Right. However, I feel like the theme of misogyny, if we were to split that one into two camps of whether or not the film is misogynist or not, you could have a whole plethora of academic material that like you could write on either side. And I would read and probably agree with most of it.
0: Yeah in terms of the the sort of play acting thing uh, I think uh, you did well in framing it that they're not aware of it but I think I think that argument or that idea falls apart for me because because I don't think it works in like a subtle concert. I think that he starts witnessing these events and these creatures before he has any notion of the fact that she has like outlined all of this in her thesis he Mm -hmm. sees that much later where he sees the three beggars and all that stuff um he sees the fox saying chaos reigns he sees the deer with its fetus hanging out um to me i think i think there's definitely a case to be made for this being some sort of shared hallucinatory something if you could like build an argument around that Mm -hmm. but for me it feels much more real than that like these these events are actually happening. They don't feel hallucinatory. Mm-hmm. Maybe at the end, I don't know, it does it does become borderline towards the at the like the very end where you're you're not really sure what you're looking at at that point. But the the much like Jeff, the part of your statement that I do really agree with is the sort of returning to roots and that theme of nature. They literally have fucking rough sex at this gnarly crazy tree mm-hmm. and it zooms into the back of his head and then it zooms out and you see like all these... What was it? Other people having yeah. sex or just... Yeah, like, like under the roots. In intertwined.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah, I saw... Yeah, it was more like... Yeah, it was and, like bodies of women intertwined because it was very like fair-skinned bodies. Yeah. I saw it was more like... See, that was a strange scene to me because I... It was almost like they're, they're having sex upon... They're like committing sin upon the bodies of like all the women that died committing the same sin before them. I don't know. It's like Lars von Trier is so bonkers. I don't even know that much about him because it seems like everything is either like a red herring or a misnomer in this movie. Like the 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 title from the title to like the theme, even the themes of the biblical aspects like seem to kind of be a cover for them this more like pagan uh, nature worship connection with Christianity. He keeps kind of like doubling down and doubling, doubling down on themes until they become so interwoven that they're still interesting, but but oh. so difficult to to that's, bring apart. Yeah, that's what I was saying about Von Trier is
0: like when you add the meta element to this film, once you know that Von Trier is Von Trier, it adds this whole other dimension where it's like the it's inextricable where he's fucking with you or not. It's inextricable and we'll never know. Mm-hmm. And that's that's interesting, but it it does add that layer to the conversation where you're like is Lars von Trier just like hoping we get lost in this? And and is that the point? Is that the point more than making an actual thematic point? We don't know.
1: Yeah, yeah. and I think that could be <laughs> I could see where that could be really frustrating. People could get for angry at people, that. for some people, yeah. And like that would be a big waste of time if you're like looking for that and then like you don't even know if the director's trolling you or not. So I definitely see where people could feel resentment against his movies and the the themes but i I feel like an antichrist these these themes that are being presented while they are interwoven and disjointed at times they're still so beautifully presented and we haven't even touched very much on just like all the technical aspects of this movie and i mean like we usually say with directors that are that are this good they're all great like you know, like everything is great. Art direction, mm-hmm. you know, shot Shots, design. Yeah, I mean everything is
0: the weird hallucinatory little things, little touches he brings. He's in.
1: using a lot of strange lens effects, and you don't see that that often. I think anymore, which is really great. Like he, he uses lens distortion when she's walking, th- running through the forest after the bridge, and and the camera's following her, and it like the he's using a type of lens where it's like. I don't know if it's like an older wide-angle lens, but it's one of the lenses that causes a lot of distortion around the edges, like magnifi- uh, almost like a magnifying glass. Mm-hmm. So it would like blow up parts of the trees and then they would go down. I don't know, it was beautiful. And then like, yeah, like you were saying when they were going into the forest, like the forest seemed to be like folding in on itself. I don't, it's just a lot of beauty to this movie.
2: Yeah, the, the cinematographer of this film actually, um, he did Slumdog Millionaire the same year. Um, and he won an award for best cinematographer at like the European Film Awards for both of these films for both Slim Dog Millionaire and this one Which thematically are different one is a little more present to general movie-going audiences But the point that you guys are making about the technical aspects I think are really important because I don't think you could have gotten away with making a film this graphic and like a story this uh, this wild without being a master of your craft like Von Trier is and making the film actually beautiful you know, um, which is funny because he said he was at like 50% for this movie. He was himself dealing with a whole bout of depression.
0: Yeah, but that's Von Trier saying that. I know that's true. You can't right? trust him. <laughs> he was like, oh, I couldn't
2: operate the camera. I usually would. I would just excuse myself into my trailer and let the actors do what they wanted. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. But I wanted to say there's the... This guy named Dwayne Dudek, who I've never read, but he writes for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. He said something about Antichrist that I thought was really good. And it was like, this is his most unwatchable film and many will find its violence and cruelty, including scenes of genital mutilation repellent. I cannot recommend Antichrist, but in a culture that hemorrhages death and torture nightly on shows like 24 or CSI, I can understand it. And in my opinion, I totally agree with Dane Dwayne here. I'm like, dude, we show this shit all the time, just by way of implication or like a little glimpse here and there of like sexual violence or murder or anything like that. And it runs constantly on daytime and afternoon TV. So what Von Trier has done here has made a film that's artsy and well-made and technically sound and really graphic. But I feel like to some people, he might be violating the sanctum of cinema. You know, they feel like they can watch this stuff in the grossness of their own home, but when you go to the movie theaters, like I don't know why the people find this so blatantly offensive, right?
0: So like th- I have some thoughts on that. Um I don't remember if it was on this or on one of my solo videos, but I was talking about how I was I was meditating on um there are movies out there that are just mean-spirited and awful and brutal to their characters and I have no time for that I have no time for cruelty without depth right but if it's something like Antichrist while it is incredibly cruel and brutal and awful in certain moments I'm completely willing to watch it multiple times and even highlight it on an hour-long talk here and you know just give it its due because there's so much more going on that's substantial here. Like this is, this is a full course. There's a lot to chew on here to bring it back to that. Mm-hmm. Whereas like uh, my favorite example of something that's, that is not worth my time at all is the human centipede, right? It's just cruelty for cruelty's sake and there's no depth there, right? This yeah. is the complete opposite of that.
1: Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I heard I was when I was reading reviews for this movie, certain people were attributing it to like torture porn, and I was like, "Oh my god, that's such an unbelievably ignorant view Mm -hmm. of this film because it's it's so the opposite. Like these moments of of grotesque horror in this film are meant, I feel, to almost highlight the moments of really somber." And downcast silence that there is. I don't know. It feels like the perfect amount of spice in a, in a dish. Like, I, it's just, yeah. It's, it. Now, I will say there is the one scene with, uh, I think we can all, uh, I physically could not watch that scene. And I understand. Which one?
0: Was it Willem Dafoe coming blood or was it Charlotte Gainsbourg no. snipping off her, uh, her clitoris? That was
1: that one. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so the 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 coming blood thing, I was like, "Holy shit!" I was like, "Okay, that's when I knew this movie was unrated," because it showed yeah. like the full dick and everything, and it looked like a CGI dick. So it, I, I, I don't know. It was it, probably it,
0: a prosthetic. It's probably yeah. A prop.
1: It, it looked very yeah, but the clit scene was so. I couldn't watch it. Like I li- and I know like it's a movie, I know that it's a prop, I know that we use effects and I am able to dismiss that for 99.9% of it. But that scene I had to turn away from because it was horrific and I get that. And I can get but it's not trying to do that in any way like Hostel or or Human Centipede or any of those movies. It, yeah, no, this this is real art. Yeah. Like she art. she watched her child die whilst having sex so it's almost like i will now remove the part of me that derives pleasure from sex yeah, she's and she's like whatever i have I, another and one on the cast that that away yeah and like like to uh, one last point is i think it there was a level of ambiguity in the in the movie about whether this was, like you're saying, Jesse, to kind of bring it back to your original point. Like, is she going through a descent? Or is this something that she had always kind of had a plan for, I premeditated. guess? Like premeditated is a good way to put it. But I kind of would say it is premeditated because, and for the one and only reason, is she had statues of the three... Uh, what are they called again? Three travelers? The three beggars. Beggars, thank you. The three beggars, she had to, the baby knocks off the statues of the three beggars. Yeah. So it's almost like they were placed there as part of like a ritual. Like, because sex is used as a ritual in witchcraft. It's like we've seen that in so many. I mean, we see that in The Vitch, we see that in uh, mm. and Midsommar. Yeah. Midsommar, thank you, Alex, I was like, where's the name of that movie? We see that a lot in in movies about witchcraft. We see that sex is almost a reagent, as much as Eye of Newt and Tongue of Toad Mm -hmm. is like this, because you're taking the seed of creation and using it in a ritual. So she's having sex, she sets up the three statues, she watches her child sacrifice himself. So I really do think that that was a sacrifice, and then mm. she has to do it again mm-hmm. with Willem Dafoe's character in the I completely forest. agree, man. Yeah. I completely and, agree. I think she's like,
0: evil from the get go.
1: And so, yeah, I don't think. it And I think that really reinforces the other point that no, it, there's no misogyny here. This woman, this woman succumbed to powers that, in this universe, are evil and are are corruptive yeah. and. And that's the her character. I mean, and the, the putting the shoes on—you always seem confused. I think that was purely she wanted to cause her child pain, because I don't know if you've ever worn shoes on the wrong foot, but it hurts. And I think she purely did it not to cause any kind of deformity or anything like that, or any kind of purpose. Because I was like, oh, because my mind went to like, um, what's the movie with the the famous movie with the little kid who's the Antichrist. It's been remade a thousand times.
0: Oh, like, um, Happy
1: Madison. I don't know. Happy <laughs> Gilmore. Rosemary's Baby. No, the we know all know the one. Barry Lyndon. No, stop it, fuckers! You know I have, have come come, I d- I know I have a bad memory. I meant it came out many times. Many it's a it's the children little of kid. the corn. Damien is the name of the little kid. And that's South Park. Oh, is it the Omen? The omen. Thank you, Alex, okay. for being helpful. I don't. I, I
0: didn't know. Genuinely, fucker.
1: Yeah, it's like. It, I mean, I thought it was like an omen type thing where the kid was going to be the the antichrist because you know. Ah, uh, yeah. Lars von Trier is throwing out this misnomer where you're like trying to see like where's the antichrist come in here, but no, she's just horrible and she's just causing her child pain for mm. no reason. Yeah, I could see that.
0: I also want to bridge over to something you guys have touched on. Um, And that's what I think is uh, maybe just another way of saying that this is like real fucking art right here. Is that um, I think that this is a very influential film. And I think that a lot of the films that we enjoy would not exist without Von Trier and especially without this film. You think about the films of Eggers, The Vich and the Lighthouse. He's definitely taking stylistic and tonal and atmospheric cues from Von Trier and Antichrist, um, all the way over to Ari Aster and the films that we've been covering, Alex, on the book reports, High Life, and uh, Enter the Void. Oh, I definitely. mean, we, we talked about Von Trier when we talked about Gaspar Noah as well. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to to highlight that real quick, as well as that. Uh, in in further defense of this being like legitimately cool art, it, it's it's very impactful on really good directors and really good films that have come after it, that have like followed this somewhat blueprint.
2: Yeah, Von Trier almost seems to be kind of like one of those guys, like if you were at a party of famous directors and people were throwing out names, you know, like Spielberg and like all this stuff, you would probably find normal mu- movie goers that would be like, uh, Von Trier doesn't really do anything for me. But if you ask serious filmmakers, a lot of them probably would bring him up. And to be cool within the realms of your colleagues is like the coolest way you can be cool, right? Like mm. if you're not known to the movie <laughs> audiences, okay, that's fine. But if you have filmmakers going on podcasts or interviews always dropping your name or always bringing you up,
0: oh. that,
2: that's that's like a cool thing to, to have. And I feel like Von Trier probably has carved out a role like that. Um,
0: so he's like Nick Cave.
2: Nick Cave? From yeah, he's like, like the Nick bad Cave, seeds. right?
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Because yeah. he's someone that is so famous within like musicians, right? Mm-hmm. He's not... I mean, he's popular. Von Trier is popular, too. But uh, within the popular consciousness, he's not like a household name. But if you ask any musician about Nick Cave, they're like, oh, hell yeah. Yeah.
2: Like, John Waters loves Antichrist. And he loves uh, Von Trier. And John Waters... That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, John Waters, <laughs> for me, is like one of my heroes. I don't know why. I've just always loved the dude and I think the dude has like, he's just the type of person where you go into filmmaking and you're like, oh, you're just making smut films or something like that. You don't take it seriously. But then when you listen to John Waters speak, he's someone who's extremely knowledgeable about filmmaking and he's someone who cares a lot. He's a fan. So the fact that he has, you know, put his uh, seal of approval on Von Trier for me is enough. But um, Isn't
0: Pink Flamingos on the AFI's top 100 list? Really, I think it is. Oh, yeah. damn, that's a well regarded film by some people who know,
2: yeah. You so, know? Von Trier and this film, especially, I feel like have a special place in the post 2000 world of cinema. And I think that later on, this film will be looked back on much more highly regarded critically than it just being some shock, shocking like trauma fest. Um, really quick, I wanted to say about that the most dramatic moment, moments in the movie for me were not the moments of violence. They were like the conversations that the characters would have with each other. Like Hmm. that feeling of just being in such a soulless and like, uh, I don't know, crazy relationship that's just going down the drain. Those moments were more visceral and more like anxiety ridden for me than the cutting of any bodily...
1: Yeah, the grounded moments of like real relationship like falling apart. That that makes sense for you because like that... Like I mean, yeah, that stuff was definitely gripping, but yeah, you know, it, it's always the visual stuff that kind of sometimes gets me. But yeah. yeah, that stuff was definitely very dis- disturbing in a different way because it was real. It was almost like *Marriage Story*, where like Ooh, you're exactly. at times you're disturbed because of just how real these conversations are yeah. and how like the real they feel. Like yeah, when he's like domineering over her, yeah. or like trying like. Yeah, there's so much arrogance from Willem Dafoe's character. It's crazy, just like the way he talks to her, like, "Oh, Patience uh, shouldn't uh, screw there." Mm-hmm. He's like toying around with this idea. It's like, I know no, you shouldn't be her fucking therapist. I know. It's like <laughs> you're crazy. It's insane like that. The word I can only describe is pure arrogance to think yeah. that you could like actually be your wife's therapist <laughs> through the grief of your child's death. And there are just so many like gut wrenching scenes like the bright in the beginning after the child dies and the cameras facing out of the coffin box. Yeah. Towards the parents like, dude, that's like one of the moments where I feel like I honestly wanted to be on set. And I and I know this is not how movies work. Like obviously they're storyboarded and stuff like that. But it's almost like when Von Trier like says like Oh yeah," and then put put the camera in the in, in the coffin box facing the parents. It's almost like the group of people in the in, in the writing room are like, "What the fuck? Yeah, dude? seriously. <laughs> like what the fucks up with this guy? <laughs> like it's just it's so like it's such a small detail that's like it just made my stomach drop.
0: Hey, Alex. Yeah, I just thought of something. We all won't linger on this too long, and it'll just be an inside joke for those that know. But I just realized that we did a movie about Hitler, and then a movie by Lars von Trier back to back. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you can look it up later, people at home and Jeff, if you're interested. Is Lars
1: von Trier like Hitler. He has some
2: questionable. <laughs> He's made political some comments. Elections, yeah.
0: But I also think that that was just him trolling, in a really, really tasteless way.
2: Yeah.
1: Um,
0: But I also want to talk about real quick how awesome Willem Dafoe is, not just as an actor, but we're talking about the people involved in this project. And he's one of my favorite, like, actors. Not just because he's an amazing actor, but because he's, like, an awesome person. Like, every review with him, he's just so genuine and, like, open and, I don't know, like, heartful, if I could use that word. And he... I, I love his philosophy, too, where he does things like like Spider Man, but then he'll do this. And his whole ethos is just that if you believe in your project and he thinks it's interesting, then he wants to help you make it. Right. His whole thing has never been like, oh, this is this movie will do this. This movie's like, uh, I can bank off this one. Mm-hmm. It's always just like, do I believe in this person's vision and do they believe in their vision? And wanting to help, that like he's a true artist. I think Willem Dafoe is awesome. That's cool. And I just wanted yeah. to throw that out there.
2: I think of uh, Ray Manzarek on the beach with Jim Morrison, right? Just like Jim Morrison reading him his poetry, and Ray's like, "Fuck yeah, let's do it. I'll help yeah. you. I'll help you make something out of that." Yeah. But oh, dude, man. Willem I Dafoe's love smile film. too. That smile, like, it's so photogenic. Not like, oh my god, he has a great smile. It's so. Full of character. He has so many teeth and it like is like (laughs) ear to ear, you know, that like the heartfulness aspect that you're talking about. I get that when he's interviewing Christian Bale, an American psycho. I'm like, you're a really nice guy. The detective. Mm. I'm like, you're just trying to, you know, get to the bottom of this murder. You're really cordial. You're really cool and calm and collected. And no, I think Willem Dafoe was the the casting choice for this movie.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, dude, when like that's the thing is like all of those things we would all have too if you had that kind of fucking piece on you, <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like all of that comes from having just like a fucking baby's arm in your speedo. <laughs> like that shit mm. is the man's got a fucking nar nar fucking hog.
0: Yeah, I think some of the time it's it's difficult to say when you're seeing his actual hog. Or, Dude, that or first a,
1: shot was for sure his wiener.
0: Yeah, slamming in and out. That's your. Yeah, I don't know. I can't say one way or the other. I didn't do the research. <laughs> I
1: didn't do the research either, but I want to believe it. <laughs>
0: okay, we'll just we'll just consider that canon. We'll consider it yeah. real weirdos canon, even if it yeah. comes out that uh, that is not true. Well, we won't we won't believe it. That's that's propaganda. A, okay, yeah. that is Willem Dafoe's 100 percent hog people. <laughs> <laughs> real weirdos <laughs> land.
1: You all want to do uh, reviews?
0: Oh yeah, you had some reviews you wanted to share with us of people who were uh oh well, yeah, just go for it.
1: So there was just you know, like like usual we but we all like this movie and I just think the negative reviews are always kind of funny. So uh this this is David Stratton in Australia, top critic. I think oh, calling Von him Trier, out calling him up by name, okay. I think Von Trier's immature. I think he's even childish at times. Mm.
2: hmm
0: is that that's it? Just about the that's film? That's it.
1: That seems... I, have, I don't know. That's one of the negative reviews.
0: I can't. I can't disagree with that. <laughs>
2: I mean, so that's the thing about this film, right? Is like the negative reviews. I will be. I will give them credence, and be like, okay, yeah, I can. I can see how you know you could come out of this film that way. This film was not one of the ones where I'm like dying on a hill trying to explain yeah. to people that like no, it's this or it's that. I am totally okay with someone feeling, seeing this movie and being like, Mwah. I, I would be like, okay, that's an appropriate reaction. I will say you said uh, Australian. Yeah. So there was a, this, this film was only limited in South Australia due to new laws at the time that like placed restrictions on films with R 18 plus ratings. So mm. maybe they're just a little prude down there.
1: Too much very graphic porn. <laughs> hmm.
0: Well, don't, don't let him watch enter the void. Jeez. <laughs> you oh, thought this movie yeah. had sex in it. My God.
1: What to say about this boring load of crap. How can I get my money back about as exciting as The Sound of Music?
0: Mm, boring <laughs> load of crap. Interesting I lo- take.
1: I just I loved that comparison I know, of this movie. Of is is, so, if, dude, if The Sound of Music started with just hog full penetration, I would have liked <laughs> that movie a lot more. Oh, Jesus. <laughs>
0: It's so funny because, I, I don't know, it's is. It's It isn't. It's interesting though, right? Because you can show me movies like this and some of them, I will say, are like a pretentious load of crap. And it's hard to say where the borderline is with that. Especially with Von Trier, he's so divisive. He's so divisive. Even mm-hmm. with people who love film. Some people who love film who are genuinely like really smart analysts will say things like that. And it's hard to disagree. Sometimes just comes down to taste, but yeah. I mean, it's definitely a movie like, uh, like we said with Enter the Void and with High Life. It's like it's not a movie for everybody. It's barely a movie for anybody, honestly. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't know, if you're operating on a certain wavelength, it's fucking fascinating. And I don't know what it's saying exactly, but I love that it's, it makes me interested, right? I love being interested. I love being really interested in anal- analyzing what a movie's doing. And, like, to the point where I watch it multiple times, that's fascinating to me. What's way more of a, a indulgent load of crap or whatever that guy said is, like, something, like, Uncharted. You mm-hmm. know, like, some piece of crap. Some literal piece of crap that's crapped out cynically by a studio with, the, like, casting decisions that are just made cynically because it's what's popular or whatever. This, this movie, even if you don't like it, it you can't... Like, dismiss the fact that it's, like, this really well-made, wild thing that is a singular vision by an artist, right? And whether you consider, like, your opinion of it positive or negative, it's... By that metric, it is infinitely more interesting than some generic crap like Uncharted, right? Yeah, it's
1: just... You, you take a risk as an artist of how approachable you want to make your art. And I really find that sometimes to make your art more approachable, you have to kind of strive farther away of maybe the original point that you were trying to make. And I think Von Trier just doesn't do that. Yeah, definitely. He doesn't pull away or try to step back from his original idea. He gives it to you full penetration
0: oh he leans in he's like oh that's gonna make you uncomfortable well, let me go 10 steps further mm-hmm. and i
1: think some people just find that really immature and it is that mentality can be really immature yeah. in a lot of different contexts when we talk yeah. about like online trolls or such like that where it's like oh i just want to provoke a reaction out of you i want you to say like ew my my and you see that with like edgy shitty comedians it's and just stuff a like prank that, it's bro it's like or if, if my company makes you feel uncomfortable, well, fucking too bad. Yeah. Because yeah, I'm just, yeah. I'm just too edgy yeah. and too fucking. Uh, mm. It's like, <laughs> but but von Trier, I think it's like, he kind of is singled out in this category of people that like are is is doing it and is also a really great artist.
0: Yeah, there are a few others: Gaspar Noé, uh, Claire Denis, director of High Life. Um, I can't remember her name but the lady who did uh Titan, which is a wild movie that I saw recently and highly recommend if you like Antichrist. Um yeah, I think you said it one of you guys said it the best way earlier. Where you're like if Von, if Von Trier wasn't as skilled as he was, he couldn't get away with doing this, right? But because he is as skilled as he is, it it doesn't matter that he's being a shock jock in a sense, or or it, it doesn't like detract. It's just it's just defining the borders of cinema, and he's mm-hmm. pushing in a weird way, and some people won't like that. I totally get it. I mean, some people do. I think it's fascinating.
2: There's a, yeah. an apt comparison to be made here, and I mean, it doesn't make the most sense, um, in an analogy, but there are athletes in professional sports who are so good at their position or what they do, that they are notorious or infamous for being insane people, like outside of the arena of sports, right? And they have this ego to them where they're like, well, that doesn't really apply to me because I'm so good at this. I'm not saying that Von Trier is a star wide out for an NFL team. (laughs) What I'm saying, though, is that he is good enough at filmmaking that he can explore themes and visual motifs like this in a way that I don't fall into what Jeff was talking about, into where I feel like it's just like a shock gimmick, or it's just a really annoying, like immature attitude of like, we're going to talk about sex and farts and poop, you know, and if you don't like it, then blah, blah, blah. He doesn't do that. It's very elevated, and it's very austere, and yeah, I don't know. I give this movie an A+. (laughs) <laughs> oh god <laughs> no
0: <laughs> no
1: ratings so uh at the end here boys what uh what well, numbers what you want to get into? what are your numbers boys
0: let's uh distill it that's, that's all people will talk about like he gave it a 7.7 7. I thought it was more of a 7.9 so <laughs> trash review trash reviewers <laughs> uh what was I gonna uh, say I was gonna say uh, something I can't remember I don't know Fuck it it's good it's good oh oh yeah no that was it um in terms of von Trier, one last note. Just like as a as a personal thing, I I cannot give a holistic uh, interpretation of his career because I've only seen maybe like a third to half of his movies. So it could be that somebody who has like a, a have se- has seen all of them could have a different interpretation. And I just want to give that caveat that I have not seen all of them, so I can't give a holistic uh, view of von Trier completely. I can give maybe a half of one. Mm-hmm. You know. I like, I like this, I like Melancholia, some other ones. And uh, yeah, and that was Antichrist by Lars von Trier. Now, how many times have we said his name? Maybe more times than like any other director of a film that we've nope, talked take about. Take a shot. Maybe. <laughs> uh, take, do, do not take a shot. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Jesse uh, from The
0: Real Weirdos does not approve this game. You'll get alcohol poisoning very quickly. <laughs> um, but that's us done for the day. Two and a half white men with English degrees talk about movies for way too goddamn long coming out with us on Twitter at Real Weirdos Pod and we'll see y'all in the next one
1: later have a good one
0: anti krizzle my balls <laughs> <laughs> now our podcast is done and we have to run we know it is sad but we had so much fun don't be bereft Jesse, Alex, and Jeff We'll be back real soon, the real weirdos. We talk about movies for way too goddamn
1: long.